Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this time that we can gather here today and sing praises of worship to you and dig into your holy word. Lord, we pray that you have selected this text today for a purpose. We pray that you would work through your word, that it would not return to you void, that you would accomplish the work that it is intended to do this day. Lord, all of these things we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. So upon Jeremy's suggestion uh, and through prayer, I am going to ask for you to turn in your Bibles today to Mark chapter 12. Now let me help you find Mark. Genesis is way in the front, Revelation is way in the back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you get to Acts, you've gone too far, scoot back to Mark. And I want you to go to Mark chapter 12, 10, 11, big 12. If you get to the big 13, you've gone too far. And we're going to look at verses 41 through 44, and I will read that text to you now. Here it is, Mark 12, 41 through 44. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Are you starting to figure this out? Are you starting to figure it out? Jeremy and Mark, they didn't want to preach a giving or tithing sermon. So they brought in a guest pastor, okay? (laughs) Many rich people put in large sums, and a a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had and everything that she has to live on. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters from Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Colorado Springs. They extend to you words of encouragement. They extend to you words of joy. They have sent me up here today to encourage you in the faith. And I want to dig into this text from Mark chapter 12. And it's in this text that Jesus introduces us to a widow. And that immediately got me thinking, what what does it mean to be a widow during the days of Jesus. What did it mean to be a widow 2,000 years ago? To help us understand that, it would help us to talk about what it meant to be a woman 2,000 years ago. You see, women 2,000 years ago, women were socially insignificant then. And the only way that a woman would gain any type of significance is if they found an important man in the community to marry. But if that man were to die, and if that woman did not have a son, then that woman would once again be alone. She was as good as dead. That's what it meant to be a widow back then. But praise God that that was then, and this is now. And so to really help understand this text from Mark 12, I sat down with a widow in our congregation. Now, for some of you, the things that I'm about to describe, it's really the first time that you've ever thought about what is it like to be a widow. 
but I know that there are some of you in this room who know too familiar what it means to be a widow or a widower. And so as I sat down over a cup of coffee with this widow from our congregation, she explained to me that the, the first few days after her husband's death actually weren't that bad because there were a bunch of family members coming in, grandkids and kids were coming in for the funeral and it was so good to see them. And the congregation, they were sending cards and delivering casseroles, you know the job. So the first few days weren't that bad. But about a week later, then the pain really started to hit. And she described to me how silent her home was. She had never realized how silent her home had been. And so she told me that there are days when she turns on the television when she wakes up and she lets the television play all day long just so she can hear the sound of another human voice. And then she went on to explain to me that her husband always paid the bills. Her husband always managed the finances. And now she was 100% overwhelmed. She had no idea how to manage the mortgage or pay the bills. The Social Security Administration explains to you and to me that 15% of those people who live in poverty are widows. And they only entered into that category upon the death of their husband. Now, this last thing that this widow explained to me, this really surprised me. She said that she noticed how the community, how the community had changed around her. You see, they used to call her Mrs. Fill in the husband's name. But now she sensed that the community was kind of just calling her poor old so-and-so. See, the community had made the mistake of now defining this woman by the death of her husband and not by the life that God has allowed her to continue living for his glory. And so now we kind of get a sense of what it means to be a widow today, and it turns us back to the text. But before we dive into Mark chapter 12, the reading that I selected for today, I, I want to show you the context of that text. You see, Jesus actually has a few words to say prior to sitting down with the disciples in the temple. And, and you've got to see these words. You've got to look at these. Chapter 12, verse 38. You have to hear the words that I'm about to preach. If you don't hear what I'm about to say, you're going to miss the rest of it. You're going to miss the rest of this sermon. Might as well go out and eat donuts and drink coffee because you have to hear what I'm about to say. Here it is, verse 38. Jesus says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. I'm so glad Jeremy told me, don't bring your robe today. We don't do robes here at Family of Christ. I'm glad I didn't have to read that text while wearing a long robe. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses 
and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. You know, as I looked at that text and I understood what Jesus was trying to teach his listeners that day, the thing that jumped out at me are those words that the scribes devour widows' houses. What did that mean? I didn't know what that meant, and I, I had to dig into it. I was really disappointed that they never taught me that in seminary. And so I dug in to the word and tried to figure out what that meant. When a husband died, the widow was left alone. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they decided to fill in the gap, and they now decided that it was their role to teach the widow about the ways of the law, which the widow had better obey perfectly if she wanted to get into heaven. Well, for that service, the scribes and the Pharisees, they charged a fee. And they defended their fee by saying, we're talking about the widow's eternity here. Who can put a price tag on that? And oftentimes the fee was so high that the widow had to sell her home in order to pay the fee. So now you understand what that means in the text in Mark 12 when it says that the scribes love devouring widows' houses. So bottom line, as we move into the text now that I selected for today, you need to know that a widow back then had very little security in life and very little money. You see, I think the main point that Jesus is trying to make here in these verses is to be aware of those scribes. You see, the, the long robes and the best seats and the greetings in the marketplace and the, and the widow's house, you see, that was the playbook for the Pharisee. And Jesus is warning his leaders to watch out for people like that in the midst. And so now we get to Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat down opposite of the treasury, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Let's spend a little bit of time with the Pharisees for just a moment. Let's, let's visit them in their home prior to their trip to the temple treasury. I can just imagine that as they got up in the morning and they, they put on their long flowing robes with the only intent of inspiring the people around them, they got their robes on and, and then I can imagine that they began to meticulously manage the money that they were about to give today. They decided on the amount that they were going to give so that it looked large, but at the same time would never make a dent in their wallet. Now, I believe they probably did the following. I, I bet that they probably broke their gift down into the smallest denominations that they possibly could, right? They didn't have dollars back then. They only had coins. And so let me explain it to you this way. If you were going to put a quarter into the offering plate as it's passed by, that would make a nice clank, right? But if you put in 25 pennies, Oh, man, that gift sounds big. And so my guess is that they managed the money in such a way so that it would make the, loud, the loudest sound as they dropped it into the box. Now they had a pouch full of money, 
hooked to their waist, and they began walking to the temple. And I wonder, how many poor people did they pass along the way? How many poor people put out their hands asking for help? How many widows sat along the way asking for a mere coin? But we know the Pharisees, right? They couldn't give anything to the poor because all of this money is intended for God and my glory, if you really want to know the truth. And so when they'd get to the temple treasury, they would majestically open up their pouch and they would drop the money into the metal offering boxes. Now, get this. Here's something else that I discovered as I was preparing for this text today. The metal boxes that where they put the money, they were fashioned and shaped into the form of a trumpet. And so as the Pharisees gave their gift, they were literally tooting their own horn, hoping that everyone would hear the clanging of the coins. Now, here's one more thing that I discovered. The temple would hire bystanders to park themselves by the box so that when a particularly large gift came in, those bystanders were paid to yell praises toward the person who gave the gift. Can you imagine what kind of competition that must have caused among the Pharisees? They no doubt wanted their praise to be louder and longer than all of the scribes before them and all of the Pharisees behind. And Jesus was warning his disciples, pay no attention to the large and lofty gifts. And then we get to the text where the widow shows up, right? And then along came two, uh, a widow, and uh, she put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. We, we usually call them mites, right? I mean, we call them the widow's mite. But in the Greek, they're called lepta. And a lepta was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. You'd earn a denarius for a day's wage. This was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. And scripture tells us it's about the value of a penny. So just like we spent some time with the Pharisee prior to going to the treasury, let's hang out with the widow as well. So here you have the widow. She wakes up in the morning to a quiet home. Maybe she forgot who she was for a moment. Maybe she forgot where she was. And, and, and uh, as she woke up, she looked over to the place where her husband used to lay. And it all comes crashing down again, how alone she is and how quiet her home is if she still lives in that home. And she rolls her way out of bed and she gets dressed in a very ragged, meager set of clothes. And I can imagine that, that as she makes her way over to where she would prepare food, it's maybe there that she keeps a small jar of where she keeps her savings. And I can imagine that that widow, she reaches for the jar and hoping to see what's there, she rolls the coins out into the palm of her hand and out fall two small lepta. 
Now, I know what I would do. I know what I would do if I were the widow. I would put the jar back on the shelf and I would grab one of those lepta and I would put them back in the jar. Lord, you can have one of them, but Lord, I need the other to take care of myself, right? And I'll give you you 50% of what I got. And if somebody in the church gave 50%, well, that's more than the tithe. Good for them. But that's not what the widow does. The widow gives both lepta to the Lord. And I wonder, as the coins hit the palm of her hand, I I wonder if her stomach started to growl. Did her stomach start to complain, remembering the last meal that she may have had, which may have been days ago? And as she looked at her stomach, she looked at those ragged clothes, and maybe she wondered, if I could just save enough, I could buy another dress, one that's not so torn. Or maybe she's trying to save the house from the fees of the Pharisee. I don't know exactly what happened, but eventually this widow begins to make her way toward the temple treasury. And she looks for the most opportune time to give her gift. You see, the Pharisees, they looked for an opportune time too. They they wanted to make sure that the crowd was at its fullest. They wanted to make sure that there were the most eyes in the place when they gave their clanking gift. And my guess is that the widow waited for that same moment. Let the Pharisees get all the glory. Let all the shouting be directed toward the Pharisee. My guess is she, she stumbled in and she gave her gift and she humbly wandered out. And Jesus makes the point to show the disciples that that is the very type of giving that he is looking for in his disciples. You know, she would have been mortified. She would have been mortified if she would have known that Jesus was standing there. She would have been appalled if she knew that the disciples were taking mental notes of what was going on so that they could later record her gift in the Holy Scriptures. I mean, she doesn't want me to preach on her giving. She doesn't want you to know about her gift. In fact, we never even learn her name. We only know her as the widow. But it's that type of humility as we serve God, that Jesus is looking for among his people. Now, I wonder, as Jesus pointed out the widow's gift, it makes me wonder if the Pharisees were listening, right? Weren't they always listening? Didn't they always have their ear towards Jesus, figuring out what he was saying? And and can't you just imagine the Pharisees, they wanted to argue with him and they wanted to defend their behavior, Isn't it interesting that as much as the Pharisees listened to Jesus, they never took to heart the things that he said. And now finally, verse 44, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but out of her poverty she has put in everything she had to live on. And so once again, now you know why I am here. Jeremy and Mark have invited me here today because it is our intent to bolster family of Christ's budget 
and we're going to use this sermon to do it. It is my job to make sure you give more. It is the annual tithing sermon, the dreaded tithings. And they didn't want to give it. They brought me in to do it. (laughs) Tithing, giving, how much you give was not Jesus's point. And it shouldn't be our point today either. You remember he told us, beware of those scribes who are doing everything for their own glory. Be more like the widow. Jesus' point for his disciples and for you and for me is the answer to this question. When you serve, who do you want to get the glory When you serve, do you want to get the glory yourself or do you want God to get the glory? You know, anytime I talk about serving and glory, I always have to think about communion assistance. They are going to hate the next two minutes of this sermon, by the way, okay? They're going to hate what I'm about to say. Let me tell you about communion assistance. They show up early. While y'all are out there eating donuts and drinking coffee, they're in this weird-shaped closet of a room preparing the bread and the wine. You see, and they're bumping into each other. There's four, five, six people in that room trying to get this meal prepared for you and for me. And they don't want you to know what they're doing in there. They don't want the attention pointed at them right now. They're not here. They don't do this for their glory. They do it so that you and I can taste and feast on the body and blood of Jesus Christ today. They want Jesus to get all the glory today. They don't want any of it. And since we're talking about glory I want to take just a moment and I want to talk about the staff that God has assembled here at Family of Christ. You see, I know Mark. I know Jeremy. I know Chris. I know Aaron. I know Randy. I know the others. I've met some of them here today. And you know what's true about the staff who serves here at Family of Christ? They are not here for their glory. They are here so that they can point all of the glory to God and so that they can serve you, God's people. You are blessed here at Family of Christ. You are blessed here by the staff that God has placed here in your midst. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, now, uh, I want to wrap up this text by, uh, by just saying uh, a couple more things here. In the, in the text of Mark 12, that's not the only time that Jesus ever talked about humility in service. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, it's verse 1. Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, he said these words, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Those are the key words there. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I think as Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus is teaching two things. First of all, he's telling us as his people that we are to do works of righteousness. We're not doing works of righteousness so that we can get saved. We're not trying to get a better mansion in heaven. We're not doing these works of righteousness so that God will love us more. No, all of that was accomplished for us on the cross. The reason, though, that we are to do those works of righteousness is because of everything that he has done for us. It is a response in our life that we now serve others because Jesus has served us. Here's the second point that I think Jesus is making. You will receive a reward for your works of righteousness. But now the choice is up to you. You can have the reward from the people, or you can have a reward from God for all eternity. Now, let me just tell you what I know. The rewards from people can be nice, but they don't last forever. But the rewards that God has for our works of righteousness, they are glorious, they are beyond our understanding, and they will last in heaven forever. So do not do your works of righteousness so that you can be seen by other people. Because if that's why you're doing it, well then you'll receive your earthly reward. But do them humbly. Do them back there in that weird little room. You know, Chris even asked, you know, we're looking for more communion assistance. That's a work of righteousness. Serving at Vacation Bible School, that's a work of righteousness. Plug in, but don't do it for your glory. Do it for God's and God's alone. All right, now, last point. Did it jump out to you like it jumped out to me that Jesus called the woman a widow, right? He didn't live in that community. She didn't walk in and shout, I'm the widow, the widow is here. She wasn't wearing a name tag announcing the date of her husband's death. Jesus, who was 100% man, is also 100% God. And when she walked in, Jesus knew her. Jesus knew her fears. Jesus knew her hurt. Jesus could count every tear. Jesus knew the quiet home that she lived in. Jesus knew her. He helped create her. Jesus knew her intimately and he loved her. And he knew in just a few days he would be willing to die for that widow. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I think there's some hurt here in this community. I think there's some struggle in the community. There may have been some things that have gone on in the past few months that have hurt. And Jesus knows that hurt. Jesus knows that pain. 
Jesus knows the tears that you cry. He cares about you intimately. He will not let you go. He will not leave you alone. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. Here's the second point. Uh, the, the widow gave both lepta, right? And Jesus knows it's all she has. Jesus knows that there's nothing else to give. And you know what's great about Jesus? Is even when we have nothing left, he'll still provide. He'll still protect. He will still be your God. Amen.